Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and guest producer Noel. So this is Stuff You Should Know. Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> yeah. Noel's been waiting for that one for months. That's right. Well, you got it, Noel, finally. How do you feel? Ooh, he talks. Ooh. <laughs> he feels great. It just woke me up. Uh, you doing okay? I'm doing fine, sir. I think we need more air circulation in this place. In our new little... Uh... It makes you logie. makes me logie. What's logie? Josh just mimicked uh, being tired. And... Yes. Okay. Right. I've never heard that. Is that a real word? Mm-hmm. Logie? Mm-hmm. Or is it some internet uh, short for something? No, like no, no. Low it's on... much older than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> low, keep going. I don't know. Low on what? <laughs> I don't know. Something uh, something GI. That's firstables you're thinking of. Yeah, I don't know what any of the little Tries internet shorthand is. I always have to look that stuff up when someone leaves a comment. Um, have you heard of firstables? No. Instead of first of all, it's now firstables. What, just by leading a sentence? Like, first of all, blah, blah, blah. Right. First of both. What? Yeah. Oh, that's just stupid. I'm with you, man. No, I meant more the acronyms, like FOMO and... Uh, oh, yeah. I have to look those. a lot of those up, too. I never know what those are. We're getting aged. That's right. We think first of both is stupid. <laughs> we have to look up acronyms. Got to look up FOMO. Yeah. If you're missing out, by the way. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. I had to look up that uh, when I was watching Broad City. One of them said that, and I was like, "What's FOMO?" Got to, I got to keep the old internet handy when I watch those young kid shows. <laughs> that show is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it's one. It's my favorite comedy out right now. I think mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy it. I just posted today, in fact, on our Facebook page, a great New Yorker article on Abby and Alana. Nice, because you know how the New Yorker does it. They do it great, in depth. Yeah, you know. You feel like, I never have to read another article again about the ladies of Broad City. <laughs> when the New Yorker does it, it stays done. That's, I think, their uh, masthead. Is it? Yeah. The New Yorker. When we do it, it stays done. I've read a neat New Yorker article from 1999 that was still awesome about this band called The Shags. It was a Susan oh. Orlean article. She oh. wrote The Orchid Thief. You sure. Know? Um, but it was about this this family band. Uh, a girl band called the Shags from the sixties. I know, I've heard of them. Who like didn't really learn to play their instruments, even though they practiced all the oh, time. Yeah. Their but dad their was their father the was like, yeah. "Yep, you're going to be a band." And uh-huh. <laughs> he tried to take them to the top as much as he could. They cut a record, even right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember reading it. That might have been the same article, but our super fr- interesting. Our friend Van Nostrand sent us the record. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what got me looking into it. Uh-huh. The only problem is, is he burned it on CD, and like, we, we, like our computers don't have CD players. Mine does at home. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, I need you to put it on the cloud. Yeah. Or okay. you can just come over. We'll listen to the Shags. We'll have a Shags party. Oh, wait. We're talking about illegal activities. We need to buy the Shag album. I don't think it's still in print. Okay. Uh, Chuck. Yes. Are you familiar with seawater? Yes. Uh, you know, there's tons of it out there in the world. That's right. As a matter of fact, Chuckers, 97.5% of all the water on Earth, and that's 70% of the Earth's surface area, is water, right? Yeah. 97.5% of that is salt water, seawater. 
That's right. Which is great. It's good for sailing on. It's good for swimming in. It's good for catching um, porpoises in. Uh-huh. Doing all sorts of cool stuff, right? Porpoise fishing expedition. Right. Yeah. Um, the problem is it is terrible, horrible, unbearable for drinking. That's right. The reason why is because when you drink salt water, it messes with your body's homeostasis. Yeah. It does this because salt is an electrolyte. Yeah. Just like they talk about in, um, what's that Mike Judge movie that I love that you don't like? Oh, uh. Idiocracy. Idiocracy. Yeah. Remember they, they water the crops with Gatorade because it has electrolytes? Yeah. I don't not like it. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. It's, it's a medium for me. Okay. Um, when you have too many electrolytes or salts, for example, in your body, mm-hmm. your body says, hey, cells, you've got a bunch of water. We've got too much salt outside of you. Yeah. So we need you to release some of your water to return the body to homeostasis. That's right. Well, if you have too much salt, your cells purge themselves of too much water mm-hmm. in order to excrete the salt out of your body through urine. Yeah. Right? Um, and once you do that, you dehydrate, your kidneys malfunction, your brain starts to go downhill, you get brain damage, and you ultimately die a terrible, horrible death from electrolyte imbalance. Yeah, and that's why when, um, if you are ever lost at sea, let's hope that never happens to anyone, mm-hmm. but um, they, you do not drink the salt water. It would be very tempting because it's right there. Yeah. Um, but they're not kidding when they say water, water everywhere. Yeah. And not a drop to drink. Yeah. I mean, you will you will die a quicker death if you start drinking that salt water. Fact. This has been like a, a problem for a very long time. Uh, uh, humans have lived in coastal areas for long, long, long time, even before civilization. Long, long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> so as far back as I believe the Greeks in the second century BC wrote down ways of getting fresh water from salt water because it's still water. Sure. You just have to figure out how to get the salt out of the water. And one of the best ways, one of the earliest ways, and one of the ways that's still in use, although in much more high-tech use, is called the solar still. Yeah. Uh, I guess a little bit more on the, the history. Um, Aristotle uh, in 320 BC was like, hey, we should desalinate water. So wait, that's the zero to 100... 100, 200, 203. So that would be the 4th century B.C. Okay. I was wrong. Uh, Pliny the Elder, uh, which we, by the way. Is there a younger? We just got some beer, some Pliny the Elder. Yeah, thank you. Dan. It was Dan. Dan? Yeah. Dude. Very much appreciated, Dan. Yeah. Just can't get that stuff here. No, it's an extraordinarily rare beer. Uh, Dan sent us some Pliny the Elder, so thanks for that. Uh, but Pliny the Elder in Rome um, also described uh, seawater distillation. And in 70 AD, Alexander of Aphrodisias uh, also did so about 130 years later. And then there was a French explorer named Jean Delery, who, um, did you like that? Yeah. Who, um, in 1565, uh, talked about desalination, James Cook as well. So it's not a new thing. For many years, humans have been able to look around and say, you want water? There's plenty of it. Let's just figure out a way to, to make it not salty. Water, water everywhere, and let's all have a drink. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which got me um, thinking sort of later in the research, like, why is the ocean salty to begin with? And I didn't really know until I looked it up. That's a good question. Yeah, uh, it turns out that salt from the ocean comes from rocks here on Earth. 
Okay. It's not just uh, out there in the ocean. It um, What happens is it rains, and then uh, it falls on the land, and it contains carbon dioxide from the air, and that makes the rain slightly acidic. So when it hits the rocks, it's going to break down that rock some, mm-hmm. creating uh, ions, which we've talked about, okay. uh, chemical particles that are charged. Yeah, because they're missing an electron. That's right. Uh, and these ions are basically just carried into streams, which eventually into rivers, mm-hmm. and eventually into oceans. Okay. And along the way, a lot of them are used up by organisms, um, but the ones that are not used up are left over. And 90% of all these ions are sodium and chloride. So, boom, there you have it. Put those two together, you got salt. Yep, and all that stuff flows in the ocean, and that's why you have, uh, I got a couple of stats. Uh, 3.5% of the weight of seawater comes from dissolved salts. Wow. And they say, some say, that if you took all the salt from the ocean and spread it evenly over the Earth's land, okay, just the land, it would be about uh, 40 stories high, 500 feet thick. Wow. So there's a lot of salt to get rid of if you want to desalinate. And it's all from broken down rocks, huh? Yeah, and why is desalination a big deal? Because uh, clean, potable drinking water is a problem in a lot of parts of the world. Dude, it is getting to be a problem faster and faster. Yeah, like some people say that the future wars will be fought over water, mm-hmm. which is really scary to think about. Yes. You know? Um, and for drought, too. Like, uh, it's not just, you know, I'm in a developing country and we don't have access to clean drinking water. Right. Big problem. But places like California suffer a drought. And they're mm-hmm. like, maybe we should think about building desalination plants. Right, and they have as a result. Yeah, which we'll get to. So, so first of all, we should say happy World Water Day to everybody. It's March 22nd is World Water Day. Oh, yeah? So just think about that while you're, okay. you know, while it's March 22nd. Sure. Um, and, yeah, so there's a, there's a great need for water. That's the whole reason for World Water Day is to point that out. Supposedly right now, 700 million people um, lack access to water. Mm-hmm. They don't have, there's a water scarcity. Clean drinking water. Yes. Yes. Um, and they think that that's going to rise to 1.8 billion by 2025. In wow. 10 years, it's going to add another 1.1 billion people to those who face water shortages. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit in our Life Straw podcast from quite a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But the Life Straw is a, um, I was about to say single use, not single use, but, uh, Single, single serving? Single, well, not single serving. It, it's a, uh, what do you call it if like uh, it's just for one person or a family? Uh, single person? Personal? <laughs> yeah. Heirloom? It's a personal uh, device that you can use to literally uh, drink water like out of a river through the straw. Yeah. You just put it in the river and it's got filters in it so it filters out. That's right. I don't. It doesn't filter out salt. I no. think it has to be used for fresh water, but it filters out like bacteria. Right. Things that, you know, disease-causing stuff. Correct. Um, so, yeah, we did talk about water scarcity. I think we've talked about it in other ones, too, like why can't we manufacture water yeah. things like that. It's part of our water suite. It is, and it's ongoing because the problem is not getting better. It's getting worse. And one of one of the responses to water shortages around the world is what's called virtual water exporting, which is where you and I have a bunch of fresh water. Mm-hmm. And we use it to grow grain, and then we send that grain to a place that doesn't have much water. Yeah. So they get to use their water for drinking. Right. They don't have to use it for grain. That makes sense. 
So, and there's a lot of different things that we use water for that can be exported. It's hard to export water, right? But you can use it for stuff and save other people from having to use it, right? Because um, we use a lot of water. We do use a lot of water, Americans especially. Yeah. But you hear stats like, oh, this desalination plant can uh, pump out like 15 billion gallons of fresh water. You think, man, 15 billion gallons is so much. It's not very much at all. No, it's not. In the grand scheme. I think 15 billion gallons of water is two-thirds of a percent, two-thirds of one percent of the amount of water used by humans every day. Yeah. And um, I think all of the desalination plants online, there's 17,000 of them. Yeah, right now. and that accounts. I think that's all of them, from the from the very small ones mm-hmm. to the ones that are also used in like uh, as part of the uh, fracking process. Right. So it's not necessarily all of those are to deliver water to humans, but yeah, there are that many. So the seventeen thousand desalination plants online in the world. Yeah, and they think that could double by twenty twenty. Yeah, um, which is pretty good. This, those 17,000 are producing 21 billion gallons a day. And remember, 15 billion is two-thirds of 1% of all of the fresh water used every day That's right. around the world. So it's still, sorry for the pun, but a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Uh, but things are changing fast. They are. This new one in California, which uh, we're going to talk about later, um, is the largest in the Western Hemisphere and will produce 50 million gallons per day on its own. It's pretty substantial. Pretty substantial. Um, so we'll talk about the technology used in this. It's actually kind of old. It needs a little updating. Right after this. So, Chuck, there's basically two ways that humans desalinate seawater. Yeah. And um, they've both been around for many, many decades. They're, in theory, they're pretty good at, at removing sea salt from seawater to create fresh water. Yeah. But there's, over the course of these decades, we've found this could be improved, this can be improved, that can be improved. And we'll talk about that later. But this technology, it's been around for a little while is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, and the two different, the main competitors are um, multi-stage flash. Yeah. Uh, desalination. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I talk like Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah? Well, that's a good thing. I, I'm not getting political. I just mean he's known as a, a great orator. Was. Chuck was. Uh, and the other one is reverse <laughs> osmosis. Do you That's remember right. like that poster in, in elementary school? It was like Garfield laying down on a pile of books <laughs> taking a nap, and it said, I'm learning through osmosis. I think I do remember that. I was That's, a big Garfield fan. I think that every time I see the word osmosis. Yeah. I funny. didn't get the joke when I was a kid. And now that I do get it, it's not that funny, but I'm reminded of it every time. Yeah. You didn't understand why I ate lasagna? Oh, the cat's he just liked lasagna, lasagna, right? Yeah, it's kind of weird to think about now. And the so the reverse osmosis one is the um, state of the art. That's the one that's used most widely. Yes, and uh, I think that term was coined in the 1950s uh, by the U.S. military. I think were the first ones to start uh, using that process. 
after yeah. World War II. Makes sense. It was an Eisenhower creation, probably. Yeah, like we're out on this island in the Pacific. Our soldiers need some stuff. Yeah. Uh, so let's start a process to, um, by stuff, I mean water. Uh, we'll start a process where we can take the salt out of the water all around us. And so they did. Reverse osmosis. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, we talked about, uh, solar stills, right? Yeah. Well, I don't think we described, like, you can do this experiment yourself in your, at your house. Well, and also if you're ever caught without. Yeah. Without water, you're stranded at sea. And you have a bowl and a glass. All you, yeah, all you need is a bowl and a glass, and some, some saran, saran wrap, <laughs> and you're fine. Yeah, I mean, you can uh, use other things, like if you were Tom Hanks and uh, Castaway, you could just try and use the things around you to create the same effect. But yes, go ahead and describe it. Well, you take uh, you take some seawater, you put it in a bowl, mm-hmm. you put an empty glass in the middle of that water, mm-hmm. Um I guess you want to make sure it doesn't float. Other than that, you're fine. Yeah. Put some saran wrap over it. Poke a hole in the middle of the saran wrap so that it's over the center of the empty glass. Yes. And just set it out in the sun. Boom. Solar still. Yeah, because the sun will cause the water to evaporate, which means it will go up to the underside of the saran wrap, cling to it, and condensate into the glass. Condense? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Into the glass. Uh Right? And what goes into the glass will be fresh water, the salt will be left behind because the evaporation will have separated the two. Yeah, and we're basically descri- describing, you know, rain. Right, the rain cycle. Yeah. But in is... a glass with saran wrap. Exactly. And by saran wrap, we mean like cellophane wrap, plastic sure. wrap. Cellar wrap. Um, but that's a solar still. That's pretty basic. You can do it on a rowboat. Again, if you have a glass with a bowl and some saran wrap. Mm-hmm. Um, reverse osmosis is something different. That's right. It's actually the opposite of natural, quite literally. Yes. Because osmosis is natural. Reverse osmosis ain't natural. It ain't natural. That is when you put salt water on one side of a membrane, semi-permeable membrane, Mm -hmm. and you use pressure to the tune of, I think this one in California is like, they said six times as powerful as a a fire hose. Whoa. So serious pressure to, um, to move the water molecules through that membrane, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like a big filter. It filters out the salt. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's Calling it anything else but a filter is kind of fancy. Yeah, because I think they said the pores on these membranes are like smaller than a human hair. Yeah. So it's not like your average filtering, you know what I mean? No, it's not. The the, the point is, is what you're doing is you're, you're pushing water through a membrane that the water can make it through, but the solute. The salt inside of it yeah. can't. So the salt is left behind. That's right. And um, in a reverse osmosis system, uh, and they call it reverse osmosis because under normal osmosis, what you have is something with a low concentration of a solute. Yeah. So fresh water on one side of a membrane and salt water on the other side of the membrane. Yeah. That water is going to, the fresh water is going to move from the area of low concentration, mm-hmm. so the fresh water, is going to move to an area of higher concentration, the salt water, in order to achieve one of our favorite things, That's right. homeostasis. Exactly. It wants to achieve a balance so that the stuff on either side of the membrane will be equally salty, yeah. right? Does that, that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Reverse osmosis is the opposite. So if water naturally wants to go from low concentration to high, with reverse osmosis, you're going... From high concentration to low. Yes. And that's just, again, another way of putting it, of saying you're filtering the salt from the water yeah. by pushing the water through a membrane. 
with a lot of pressure via a lot of pumps. Yeah, and you're running it through a lot more than just one membrane. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So that's reverse osmosis, <laughs> number one. Uh, and not number one in ranking, just... It's number one in my book. Oh, is it? Sure. See, I'm a multi-stage flash guy. Are you? <laughs> sure, why not? All right. Uh, that uses heat. If you've heard of flashing, like flash frying or something, basically means to do something uh, cooking-wise very quickly. Right. Um, so flashing, in this case, is bringing water to a boil really quickly. And multi-stage means you're going to do it in different stages multiple times. So the, the name makes sense. Yeah. So basically what you're doing is uh, you're going to boil this water super fast many times. And each time this happens, uh, water vapor is going to form. And uh, you're going to have fresh water there. Mm-hmm. And then the salty brine is left over to be disposed of. It's like making a solar still, like a flash-boiled solar still over and over again. That's right. So yeah, a multi-flash, multi-stage flash is like um, a super hot solar still over and over again. That's right. And each time you collect that evaporated fresh water, yeah, that's leaving a good way the solar behind. Sure. There's some real issues with both of these, right? As simple as they are. Yeah. Um, and one of the chief ones is that if you take a bunch of salt water, right? Yes. And you either filter the fresh water out of it, or you boil the fresh water out of it, there's still something left, and that is salt. And you're probably not going to get all the water, so what you have is called brine. Yeah. And if you compare brine to seawater, brine is even saltier than seawater. The reason why is there's not more salt than there is in seawater. There's just less water. Yeah. So it's like an ultra-concentrated form of seawater. Well, you're not going to do anything with this except try to put it back in the ocean. Right. And once you do that, you have a big, big problem because you kill a lot of the sea life. Yeah, it basically it's heavier, so it settles down on the bottom. And um, so the things that they're trying now to combat that is, uh, one, uh, diluting it with a bunch of other water. Yeah. Uh, I think a five-to-one ratio is what they are suggesting at this point. And they're not saying, like, oh, we'll just use some of the fresh water we just distilled out. Right. That wouldn't make any sense. They're no. using things like um, industrial or agricultural wastewater right. that they were just going to pump into the ocean anyway. Exactly. They're- so mix it with that brine, dilute it out, yeah. and it's not going to be as bad for the environment. Uh, they're also doing it gradually now, much, much slower, which also helps. Uh, they are strategically placing it uh, in the ocean in places where it is more... Um, apt to uh, disperse very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very strategic placement. Uh, I think in Australia they try to do, uh, they try to re-release it to the tune of um, 160 to 250 feet away. Yeah. You won't tell any difference in the water uh, salt concentrations. And then the last thing that they're um, trying to enforce whenever we build these new plants is um, to bury these pipes and actually do it under the seafloor mm. Uh out of sight. Yeah, well, I mean, out of sight. In, in other words, it's not being released directly into the water. Right. Uh, it's being released into the sand under the water. And then it, uh, I think the sand actually acts as a filter sure. as it disperses. Gotcha. But that's a lot more expensive uh, as well to bury these pipes. Right. Um, so, Chuck, dealing with brine is just one challenge that desalination engineers have to deal with. Plenty of other ones have popped up over time. And come up with some pretty cool solutions or ideas for solving some of these problems. We're going to get into that right after this. 
So, Chuck, um, when you, you put seawater through reverse osmosis or multi-stage flash, you end up with brine, and you have to figure out what to do with that brine. Yeah. There's some other problems, too, with desalination. Mm-hmm. For one, it's expensive. It is. Um, apparently, they measure water on the scale of things like desalination plants in something called... Um, what is it? Foot acres. Foot acre. And a foot acre is like 325,000 gallons. And a foot acre is about the amount of water a two American households of five people use in a year. Okay. Um, to, to deliver desalinated water, at least for the, the major plant that they're building at Carlsbad, California. Yeah. Um, it's going to be about $2,000 per foot acre. Yeah, and we've seen ranges in other articles from other plants, um, averaging 800 to 1400. This one's a little bit on the high side. Yeah. But what they're doing is selling it back to the, uh, city at a rate of 2014 to $2,257 per, uh, foot acre, mm-hmm. depending on how much they're buying at a time. So basically that's how they paid for this thing in California, because they're super expensive to build these plants. They yeah. got a 30 year contract agreeing to buy at least 48,000 acres, uh, acre feet per year, sell bonds on that, and now they can open their plant. Okay. But the problem is, and the reason a lot of people are upset about this, is they're like, it's going to start costing more and more. Yeah. And like, what happens then? I I don't know. I guess people pay more for water. Well, people are definitely going to be paying more for water. That's been a really a criticism for a very long time of water in America, is that it's um, artificially cheap. It, it should be way more expensive than it is because there, you know, there's plenty of places that have lots of water, but there's also plenty of places that are facing drought. Um, and the fact that it's so cheap, people tend to abuse it, don't conserve it as much in places where it's very cheap and, and yeah. inexpensive. So just by increasing the price, there's this school of thought that um, conservation will kick in. Just because economics kicks in a little more. Yeah, there's some price comparisons here um, with this new one in California. The 2,000 a foot acre or an acre foot, mm-hmm. I think we had that backwards, is double that of... No, we had acre foot. Oh, did we? Mm-hmm. Um, it's double that of water obtained if you built a new reservoir to recycle wastewater. Yeah. And it is four times as much as obtaining what they call new water from conservation methods. So... Uh, water efficient toilets, rebates, um, yeah. paying for farmers to install like drip irrigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's conservation four times. Um, four times as expensive. It's four, it's the four times more expensive. Is four yeah, times more expensive than that? Than the conservation efforts they yeah. want to try and push through. One of the reasons it's so expensive is because, especially with reverse osmosis, you said that they were using pressure that, that exceeded fire hose pressures, right? By six times, yeah. Okay. That takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Because you start out with intake pipes, which again present their own problems because they suck in lots of sea life. Yeah, exactly. So there's a there's an immediate and um, deleterious effect yes. on the sea life Could you. by sucking in seawater, yeah. right? 
Um, so you're sucking in the seawater under high pressure. You're pumping it through sand and charcoal pre-treatment. Mm-hmm. You're pumping it through these membranes, series of, you know, usually more than a thousand membranes, uh, over a very long yeah. distance, uh, into this treatment plant where it's further treated. It, it, all this requires a tremendous amount of energy, right? And when you are, when you're desalinating seawater in particular, films back, tend to build up yeah. on these membranes, which means your pumps have to work harder, which means more energy is required to pump that water through, yeah. which means the costs rise. That's right. The environmental impact rises because it's getting energy probably from a coal-fired power plant. Yeah. So you have this new huge desalination plant that's that wasn't there before that's increasing your carbon dioxide emissions. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a cost to there's an economic cost there's also an environmental cost with reverse osmosis plants as they exist right now yeah i've got a stat on the energy required this one in uh, carlsbad california which is just north of san diego it uses 38 megawatts of energy per day and that is enough to power 28,500 homes a day a day that wasn't there before yeah or it hasn't gone online yet when it does in 2016 it'll yeah. be like adding how many 28,500 homes worth of energy per day. That's a lot. Yeah, and that's, um, I mean, it, it's great to try and provide because California is doing it specifically for their drought issues. Yeah. But as we said, even at 50 million gallons a day, it's just a fraction of the problem. And people are, there's a lot of uh, people, critics, saying we don't need to be putting our money in these things. They have examples of, um, Ones that were built. There was one in Santa Barbara that was built in 1991 that uh, cost $34 million to build. And uh, after they started, it started raining again, basically, they shut it down. Right. Uh, Australia had spent $10 billion on six of these because of their drought in the 90s and 2000s. And four of those are shut down now because uh, it started raining again. And right. basically, it, they're like, it's not... It's costing way too much money to make this water now. We don't need it. Right. Well, it's the same thing as like um, solar power, wind power. When oil gets really expensive, uh-huh. then the investment in that seems smarter. Yeah. Because the, the comparatively speaking, the output of solar power, wind power isn't as expensive as that expensive oil, right? And yeah. And when the price of oil drops, that... That solar power output seems really, really expensive yeah. by comparison, and so investment goes away from it. But what you don't want to have happen, and what they're worried about in California, is they're going to build several of these mm-hmm. at the cost of like a billion apiece. Mm-hmm. And they get a lot of rain in five years, and then all of a sudden these things are just sitting there. Yeah, so I get the impression, I think it actually says in this San Jose Mercury article you sent, um, that this Carlsbad... Uh, desalination plant mm-hmm. outside of San Diego is going to basically be the litmus test for the rest of the state. Yeah, it's a really big deal. Right. So like it does well. Either California will say, yes, desalination works and let's start investing in this. Or you're going to say, no, this doesn't work. It has too much of an environmental cost. The water's too expensive. Yeah. It just isn't what we need to do. We have to figure out some other stuff. Uh, and it's all coming down to this one plant in 2016. Yeah. Pretty much. But there's been other success stories throughout the world. Like um, The Middle uh, East has a lot of them. Yeah. Saudi Arabia is uh-huh. a leader in desalination. So, too, is Israel. Yeah. Um, Australia knows what they're doing. Aruba had, at the time it opened, the largest um, productive desalination plant in the world. 
So there's a lot of desalination going on. So even if California decides to abandon it, there still needs to be an investment in making these things more energy efficient Mm -hmm. or environmentally friendly or coming up with new kinds of desalination technology altogether. Yeah. But whether or not California goes forward with it. That's right. It all hinges on the Poseidon, I think is what they're calling it. What? The the plant. Right, for California. But yeah, I'm yeah. saying even if that doesn't happen, oh, sure. other plants around the world demand that they're, yeah. they're, we need to make this better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, people need water. Yeah. So let's figure out a way to get it cheaply and with small environmental impact. Okay? That's right. Wasn't there, I think uh, a lot of efforts are being made too, to um, invest in ones like sort of like the life straw but not like a gravity fed oh yeah um, family sized desalinator yeah um, instead of these really expensive ones yeah that do you need like energy. a huge desalination plant yeah. or do you need like a bunch of smaller portable desalination yeah. units yeah like a unit that will take care of a village let's say mm-hmm. in a, a developing country why not yeah it's pretty interesting it is. Uh, for some reason, water has always struck me as very interesting. Every time we do an episode yeah. like this, I'm like, man, this stuff gets me. It's a commodity that is becoming more scarce, which is scary to think about. Yeah. Because it's such a basic thing that every human needs. Yeah. It's yeah. not like, well, I mean, things would go bad if we ran out of oil, too, but it's not like water. Uh, yeah. I mean, like society would collapse and civilization yeah. would suffer but you don't if we ran out of oil, oil to live. But- not everyone's going to die directly, yeah, right. from a lack of oil. We'll die from murder. Right. <laughs> Over the lack of oil. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about water, just type that magic word into the search bar at How Stuff Works, and it'll bring up a just a plethora of really interesting articles. And I said search bar in there, so it's time for Listener Mail. Yeah, I'm going to call this uh, brave, brave email from a young person about depression. It's really neat. Uh, hey guys, uh, my name is Brooke, and I am from uh, Beria, Kentucky. Absolutely love your show. I think you're both extremely intel- uh, intelligent and inspiring. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I've learned a lot about various topics while listening to your show and can't get enough. I wanted to email you guys because I wanted to get a message out to as many people as I can. Uh, I am 15 years old. I've been hospitalized three times for depression. The last time was because I attempted suicide by overdosing uh, on trazodone. Uh, I was aware, but hyperventilating when my mother found me on the bathroom floor, called 911, and an ambulance took me to the local hospital. Uh, and then I was sent to a facility after recuperation for depression for a little over a week and did not get discharged until Christmas Eve. Uh, the day I attempted suicide was the day I turned my life around, though. Since then, I've been doing uh, amazing and have come to the realization that harming myself was not the way to go. Uh, so I wanted to tell anyone and everyone that suffers from this uh, kind of depression to know that there is hope. And I've wanted to start publicly speaking about my experiences to hopefully try and motivate others to have the same epiphany I did. I would really appreciate it if you guys uh, read this on the air during the podcast. Thank you from Brooke. So, Brooke, that is a very brave thing to do. Yeah, thanks, Brooke. As a 15-year-old and really for any age uh, to be so forthcoming about your struggle and uh, to try and help people out. So thanks for that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if you want to send us a letter, an email, you want to say hi, you want to share your story, anything like that, especially if you think it'll help other people, you can 
tweet to us if it's a really short story at SYSK Podcast. You can post it on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 